All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the Build Show podcast. That's right, this is my weekly time to get together with you guys and go deep. You know, on YouTube, I've only got a few minutes to go through things, but on the podcast, I can take a little bit more time. And today, I've got a guest host and a really cool guest. My buddy Steve, who's my COO, is about to interview the former CMO, the Chief Marketing Officer of the Home Depot. Now, she's been retired a couple years and just completed a really interesting custom home, of which she's done several projects over the years. And she has some really interesting insights and is on the verge of writing a book. Steve knows her personally and is about to interview her. But before we jump into today's episode, I want to say a huge thanks to my friends at Builder Trend who are sponsoring today's episode. If you don't know Builder Trend, this is a company that makes software specifically for builders, for general contractors, for remodelers, for people that actually do the work in America. I've been working with these guys for about five or six years now, and I can tell you their software and their processes have totally changed my business. Here's just a quick for example. Prior to Builder Trend, whenever I had a change order on the job site, I'd have to go back to the office, use my software, make a change order, email that to the client, maybe have them email it back to me with a signature. It was a convoluted process, and what happened a lot of times was change orders didn't frankly get done or they got done way too late. With Builder Trend, on the other hand, on our iPad, on our iPhone, right in the job, we can do a change order right then and there, right when we're talking about it with a client or an architect. I can even have them sign that change order right in their iPad. That one feature alone has made a huge difference in my business, but that's just one of a hundred things I could talk about with Builder Trend. If you're not currently a user, highly recommend you get a demo with these guys and see how their software could totally change your business. With that being said, let's get back to today's episode from the Rockwell Studios in Austin, Texas. Let's get going. So, Trish, welcome to our podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I met Trish through a mutual friend, and we started talking about things, and uh, she knew that I was in the home building business with Matt, and she was embarking on building a custom home, and we started talking about it. And one of the things Trish said was that she's going to write a book about it, and she's finished the home now, and she's getting ready to, to write the book. Another interesting thing about Trish is she's had a really interesting and successful career in retail. And one of her big jobs was as the chief marketing officer of Home Depot. She's since retired from that. And so she's got a lot of uh, background in our industry. And so we thought it'd be interesting to talk about what it's like to build a home, a custom home. Yeah. And uh, we did not build the home. We did not... uh, make a proposal on it at that time. Uh, but And we're not going to mention who the builder is, although I think Trish likes her builder. I do. I very much like my builder. And and since the job is over and I've seen the house and it's a beautiful home, and we may even put a few pictures in this of it, uh, but uh, one of the questions that was on my mind is just when you have a successful outcome, of building a custom home, which means that you're delighted with the product, you're delighted with the process, and you would recommend that builder. What were the key elements of that? For me, it was 
seeing something that that builder had built. And in our case, we talked about this in the community we're in is very difficult. Uh, it's known for lots of complexity in dealing with the homeowners association and so forth. And so <clears throat> we decided at the very beginning, we were not going to hire a builder unless they had built in our community so that they were not learning on the fly how to deal with all of our problems that we, we have to deal with. And so uh, we happened to be at a, a holiday party in this home it was beautiful. And so we asked the friends, we're like, who built this for you? And so they, they told us. And so we really were like, wow, we need to talk to this, this person. And so uh, we interviewed the three builders and, um, and basically, I, I read a great book, which I told you about earlier, that you can buy on Amazon called What Your Contractor Can't Tell You. And it actually, for a homeowner, was it was like the Bible for me because it said, these are the types of things your builder cares about. These are the questions you need to get answered. And so uh, recommended getting references, which we did do. And so uh, all three of the builders are wonderful. They built beautiful homes in our community. Um, but the builder that we ended up with... Uh, in our opinion, built the best quality home of the three and also had phenomenal references. And then the final thing for us that sealed the deal was he was the only one of the three that used a technology platform called Co-Construct, uh, which allowed us to communicate when what was happening, when it was happening. There were a lot of notices uh, through email. And for me as a homeowner, at the end, I now have a record of every single paint color, the model numbers of the different, you know, technical things like the air conditioner and the water heater. So I have a record forever of everything I built. It's not in some book on a page and I don't know where it is. So mm -hmm. that was a wonderful outcome uh, that we saw early on we were going to want to have. Now, did this builder use a project manager or a superintendent, or was he personally building your home? So he he did have a first. He has a, he had a salesperson at the beginning who then rolled off the project, uh, and then he had a senior supervisor, and then uh, his son is actually coming into the business, so he was our intern on the process. So we had a second set of eyes, although they were new and learning. But so it was a lot of fun, and we saw the builder quite regularly. So we would have project meetings once the house, once the foundation was poured, we had project meetings every week. And he probably came to 75% of those meetings. In the early days, he came to all of them. And as we got closer and closer to finish, he was coming, you know, every other one. But we felt like we had his undivided attention. We never felt like we were neglected because he was busy with other projects. Now, did you figure out on the technology uh, piece, and it's interesting you bring up Co-Construct because Co-Construct uh, recently merged with Builder Trend, and Builder Trend is the software that we use mm -hmm. at Risinger. Um, was that already on your mind as one of the criteria, or did you just learn that as you went along? No, it it was. I was aware of it because a friend had built, and they mentioned it, and they said what a godsend it had been for them. Um, and also the individual whose home we saw that the builder had done said, "Oh, and you got to see this technology he uses." So we we were aware of it, and. You know, when we talked to the other two builders, you know, they talked about that after, you know, after the build was over, what you would get. And we just thought, wow, in this day and age, it makes way more sense to just have everything out mm -hmm. online. And, you know, that's a lot of work for that uh, superintendent or project manager to put all that information in mm -hmm. there, along with uh, pictures and a weekly progress report. Yep. 
But I mean, it was amazing because the specs alone, just having the specs documented and being able to go in there and go, wait a minute, what what was the SEER number for the air conditioning, you know, and, mm-hmm. and the HVAC? So, uh, again, that would have been a phone call, an email, a follow up. And it's, it's I think it it takes them way off the builder once it's done and everything's uploaded. Yeah. Now, one of the things that's interesting to me, you know, we talked earlier and we talked about the fact that. Uh, buying a home is probably, as a consumer, the largest single purchase you're ever going to make. You may, if your work involvement has you, you know, buying rocket boosters from SpaceX, you you understand government procurement. But, but as a consumer, the home that's a big deal. And you uh, and you mentioned that um, you spent a lot of time checking references. Mm-hmm. I sometimes get a, a a pushback on that. I tell them, you know, I give a potential client references and they they don't even call them. And I ask them why. And they go, well, you wouldn't give me any bad references. And I say, well, at least I have good references. Yeah, I, I think it's short-sighted on people's part. These are the same people who will go online on Amazon and read the ratings and reviews. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm very mercenary coming out of a retail background. I always read the one-star reviews because I'm like, what happened? What What's bad about this? What have I not thought of? And so I think of references completely reversed, which is you give me who you think is your best, and then it's my job to get them to tell me what, what problems they did have. Mm-hmm. So at least get the one-star. So in the case of all three of the people we talked to, one of the questions we asked was, so tell me about something that didn't go the way that you expected it to go. Or if you could do this differently with this builder, what would you have changed? And we learned a lot. And, you know, all again, all three of the, the folks we uh, checked references on were wonderful, but everybody did have a, oh, but hey, you know, they're not great at this. So at least then you're informed because nobody's perfect, right? And right. so, you, yeah, I think it's short-sighted to say, oh, I'm not going to check references. My goodness. Yeah. So, uh one of the things you didn't mention and one of the things we hear quite often is how much it's going to cost. Yeah. And apparently you didn't evaluate your builders based on a quote unquote price. No, it, I, I think, and this is where the Home Depot background comes in. We're probably a little more savvy than the average consumer um, and understood that getting a bid really was not going to tell us anything. I mean, we we knew going in what kind of home we wanted to build. Um, we had a general idea of what our budget was, but we also are blessed to have three different friends who are builders who kind of informed us, hey, look, it's going to probably cost, you know, 50% more than you think. Hmm. And we're just like, holy cow, we need to lower our expectations. But um, you know, we just didn't see the point of putting the builders through the bidding process because we knew the variations and in, in terms of specs and so forth. And we didn't feel qualified to evaluate a bid um, spec by spec. Um, so we felt it was more important to pick the right builder and then dive into the specs with them and make known, hey, look, you know, we want an insulated garage door. We don't want a heavy overhead wood door hanging over us, but we do want the heat insulation. So tell me what you can do. Um, and then Again, probably unusual and why I want to write a book is just I have so much product knowledge from my depot days. So I already kind of knew a lot about, you know, thermocore doors and how to think about that and then do the research. So I think to me, if you have a a budget, then it's up to you to work with the builder to figure out what that buys and not throw a number out. I mean, it's always frustrating to hear we're still talking 
someone will say, well, I want to build a house and I want it to be $285 a square foot. Okay, we can build you a barn dominium <laughs> with a bedroom and a sink. You know, it's just silly. It's, people just don't understand the building process. And so we're blessed that we did. Yeah, help, help us with that. Uh, that's something that I've really had to come face to face with is that there are some people that um, that think they understand the building process. And as you work with them, you realize they don't. Yeah. There's another group that believes that it's always cost focus and they're the ones that get into this dollars per uh, square, the real estate measurement for a used home sale, yeah. dollars per conditioned square foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, honestly, the approach that you've taken is the one that we try to convince our clients to work with us on. Tell us, we have some people that show up that we're negotiating or discussing a project with. And you say, I, I say to them point blank, I say, well, do you have a budget? Is there a limit to the amount of money you want to spend to build this house? And they won't tell me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, we're on your team. Right. <laughs> Our job is to tell you what we can tell you what this house is going to cost. Um, however, is that within your budget or do we need to do value engineering? here? Yeah. I mean, I think the whole building thing is all about relationships and trust and picking the right builder that you trust. But I'll admit, and our builder would tell you this, we didn't want to tell them what our budget was either. Uh-huh. And the reason for it is I think just, I don't know if it's a retail thing or a society thing, but everyone feels like as soon as I tell you what my budget is, you're going to find a way to spend more than that. Uh-huh. And, you know, we already were a little bit afraid because of what our other builder fr- friends had warned us about spending more. Um, so we were kind of hesitant. We're like, well, why do you need to know? And they're like, well, we need to understand to write the bid, how to set the expectation and what your money is going to buy. And, and mind you, you know, ours was pre-COVID, right? So God bless the builders now trying to figure out how to build a bid, but um, with a moving target that is all the building materials. But I'm happy to tell you that in our case, you know, we gave the builder the budget. We had seven change orders, which is a miracle, I guess. Um, but we came within, I think, fifty or 70000 of what the original bid was. Mm-hmm. Um but I agree with you. I, I wish that people could tell homeowners up front, hey, look, you want us to know because we're going to give you a better sense of what things cost and what your money will buy you. And I, I don't think people understand that going in. Yeah. It's really um, builders thrive on information. Yeah. The more when, if somebody shows up <clears throat> and they say, here's my lot, here's a survey of my lot, here's a topological survey of my lot. Here is a preliminary set of plans at a schematic level of what I'd like. And by the way, uh, the most I can possibly spend is $5 million. Mm-hmm. If you walk in and you say that set of things, we're in business. Now, you may not like the answers you get, right. but we're in business in that we can now answer your questions. Right. Uh, like Tim, you met Tim a minute ago, uh, our head of construction, Tim's been doing this his whole life. Tim can look at a set of plans and uh, tell you exactly what they'll cost. As a matter of fact, I was teasing him the other day because uh, I was having my home repainted. And there's seven different, just the outside, there's seven different 
cans of stuff that's going on in that house. Wow. That's what architects do to you, right? Uh, and uh, I said, Tim, what do you think this is going to cost? Because I was just using our painter, and one of our painters, they just bill by the number of people there every day. And they don't tell you. They say, well, maybe it'll be 10 weeks. Maybe it'll be 11. Maybe it'll be 12. We're not quite sure. But here's what it's going to cost a week for a crew. And I said, what do you think this is going to cost him? And he said, boom. He was within 500 bucks. That's amazing. It is. Now, the other thing is whatever Tim tells you is not only right, but it will bother you. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much more expensive than you wish it would be. Yeah. Well, it's better to set a high expectation. We we, at Depot, we always said, you know, under promise, over deliver. Right. It's better to do that than to freak people out. And I didn't let the architect pick my paint, so I didn't have a bill like that. (laughs) Well, I know, but it's pretty. Um, now, did you have, uh, when it came time to do the contract, uh, how did you handle that? Did, did you have a lawyer look at it? No, okay. we did not. You know, it's also fascinating. So one of our friends who builds really expensive uh, houses, he doesn't do like contract work. A lot of what we learned in the building industry is it's about trust. Mm-hmm. You know, we did do the contract. Um, I, again, at Depot did multi, multi-million dollar contracts for a living. We had a legal department. I know enough to be dangerous, but I, I know enough to sit down and read it and think about, you know, what are, what are the outcomes we're solving for here? And the sad truth is the builder has so much liability through building, just getting the house built. And then afterward that there's a lot of stuff in there that's just painful for both sides. But, you know, we had, we had one or two sticking points that we went back and forth on and they were kind of, they kind of came down to, you know, the builder saying, Hey, okay, you just need to trust me. This is Texas boilerplate contract that I have to do. We, we build a great house and we're going to take care of you. And that has been our experience, thankfully. Yeah. That's it, the tab contract, Texas yeah. Association of Builders. Yeah. You know and, who wrote it? <laughs> no. Tim. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> well, I can like tell. Like 15 or 20 years ago. Wow. I can tell you that it's sad. We live in such a litigious world, but, you know, at the end of the day, having everything on paper that you can think of is great, but the relationship is really going to be the outcome. You know, if you're, if you're a good customer, things are going to go a lot smoother than if you're this just every step of the way as a battle. So oh, I can't tell you how right you are. <laughs> yeah. That is so critical. What I want the clients to understand is that we are not sitting here trying to figure out how to make more money off them. Yeah. Uh, our, our, now, we're a cost-plus builder and not a fixed price. And uh, the way our builder fee is set up, which is a percentage of the cost mm-hmm. of the job, yep. is it's a matter of public record in that we publish something we call our roadmap. And we say, if your project is between this amount and this amount, this is our builder fee. Mm-hmm. We don't negotiate the fee. Right. And if it's between this amount and this amount, it's a lesser fee. So, you know, if you build an $8 million house, that's our lowest fee, $8 million and above. Right. And, and by the way, if you come to us and you say, I've changed my mind or add this building for 400000 our reaction is not, oh, boy, we're going to do another $400,000 worth of business. Our reaction is, uh-oh, how are we going to work that in? Are the subs available? 
How can we schedule this new thing in the middle of the thing we're doing? What impact is that going to have on where we were moving those subs to next? Mm. Not one person around here is high-fiving each other that, oh, there's going to be another 400000 spent on that job, which means we're going to have gross margin on the order of $60,000. Let me tell you, I can waste $60,000 of gross margin with one bad decision on right. one job. Right. So. So that's just sort of how we think about it yeah. as builders. So you're you're ex- you're ju- you're just exactly right. Um, what was the what was the hardest thing that you faced while building this house? Uh, COVID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we we had finished the design phase, and I and I, one thing you touched on earlier that I'll touch on our builder. Uh, actually participated in our design. So he he came with us to the architect's office and we talked about different things we wanted to do. And and he was a little bit of that, you know. <laughs> so we had to balance the, well, yeah, I can do that, but you're not going to like this, this, and that. But it was great because up front we knew, you know, what, what decisions we were making and what the outcome were going to be, whether that was cost-related or was going to not meet some of our needs and we had to, you know, either lower our expectations or change our mind. Um, but so we were fortunate because we started the design process in November of 19 and we were done by March of 20 and then COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we panicked a little, just like I think a lot of people did. And we looked at our bank account, we looked at our budget and we said, we're going to pause. And so we called the builder and we said, we're going to pause because we want to see what's going on with the stock market and whatever. And so we called him back mid-May and said, game on. And we had already gotten all the permits. We kept the permits uh, live, um, but it did slow things down. And it, it, it was weird, right? Because we had this relationship of many months already with the builder and you know, it was like, oh, God, everybody has to wear a mask and there can only be so many people in the house and all the code restrictions. And then you know, people disappeared, you know, people became ill and they weren't reachable. So it added a whole new roller coaster ride to the building process. But I would have to give, you know, five stars to our building team. They just, I mean, they didn't miss a beat. You know, we got through it and we, we poured the foundation September of 20. I think it was 20. We moved in 20. Yeah. And we moved in in November of 21. So I felt like That's in COVID, custom home, yeah, 4,400 square feet. felt like that was pretty good. No, that was great. Yeah. He so. did a great job. Good good teamwork, yeah, lots of. And the, and the one thing I would say from a surprise perspective, and I'll, I'll definitely put this in the book, is that, you know, you have to be a good customer. So one of the things for me having, this was our 12th home, not 12th built, but third we built, but it's knowing up front what you want and not adding the $400,000 building. You know, it's like, it's like I told him when we first met him, I'm like, I'm going to pick everything before you start. And he kind of winked at me and he's like, yeah, sure you are. I'm like, no, you don't know who you're dealing with. We're going to pick everything. And then heading into COVID, we bought everything we could buy. And I think that, you know, so a lot of people will think, well, God, that's incredible that everything you had was available. No, we actually bought luckily before the supply chain issues started. And I think I had pretty much I had all the product selections for like paint and um, the plumbing fixtures and the appliances, all that was done by March of, of 20. So we were, yeah, we were just rocking along. Oh, you were way out in front. Yeah. Cause you were 
you were before the price increases yeah. and a lot. Yeah. But you told me a story, and I want you to uh, tell this again because yeah. I thought it was really interesting. You were on a fixed price contract for mm -hmm. this project, but your builder called you and said, the lumber is killing me yep. and I need some help. Talk yep. about that. Yep. So, yeah. So um, what happened was we all know we saw the surge in lumber prices and you know we have a contract. It's a certain price. And so my husband and I had a choice to make. And, you know, again, about that whole thing about trust, it's like, is this guy, you know, for real? Because who knew that that was going to happen, right? He didn't know. And he had built in some wiggle room and cost, as all builders do in the bid. So this is, it was fortunate for us. I picked up the phone and called Mike at the Home Depot who buys all the lumber. And I'm like, is this amount, does this sound right for you? You know, is this for real? And he said to me, Trish, pay it right now because it's just going to get worse. You know, this was July of 20. And I'm like, okay. And so my husband and I talked about it. And I think, you know, we, we met another person who built a house and they were kind of bragging how they stuck it to the builder and said, nope, it's fixed price. You eat it. And they were proud of themselves. And I'm like, eh, I don't really think it quite works that way. I think the cost comes out somewhere. Um, and so we called and we said, yeah, we'll, we'll absolutely pay it because we were early in the build. And to us having done a lot of, you know, worked with pros and done a lot of contracts, it's like, you want to win this battle and lose the war? You want to stick it to your builder at the very beginning? It's just, it didn't seem, it didn't seem honest or uh, ethical to do that to him. And right. I and I think it paid off in spades as we went through, because too, they're learning what kind of person you are as a builder. You know, are these people going to try and screw me, right? Mm -hmm. So... It worked out really well. I mean, he appreciated it. It was legit, and we moved on. And that was really the only big cost increase that we actually saw because of our timing. We were very fortunate. Wow. Yeah. Well, that that was a great way to handle that. And I can't tell you how much your builder appreciated that. Yeah. And, and the outcome of that, I know, is that there were other areas where he could have either – gone short or uh, tried to save a little money sure. or maybe come at you again. And he probably, in all those cases, said, nah, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. No. And there were multiple conversations, and I'm sure you know this threat, where you could have gone left or right and it would have had minor implications. And I always felt like he went right and did the right thing for us, you know, and it, it might have cost him a little money along the the way, but he felt like he was getting it back. And then we felt we were getting a great product and, you know, we're going to be one of his best uh, references and one of his mm -hmm. best marketing. You know, he took multiple people through the home while it was being built and sold more houses. And so it's a relationship and there, you need to have some trust mm -hmm. and a lot of respect too. And I think that's, that's another thing you go into it and you can't distrust and you can't disrespect the work they're doing or you're going to have a problem. <laughs> so, now, this may not have happened on your job, but I bet it did. Um, from time to time, while a particular subcontractor is doing something, you'll either see that they have done it incorrectly or they've made a mess of yep. it or somebody poked a board through a wall that you thought was finished and now it's going to have to be fit. You know, there's something. Yeah. How, how did those conversations go? And And how did you decide when to have them and, if, yeah. you know, what's going on there. Yeah. So um, I think there's a, like, there's a rule book for that. That's a really great question. I'm going to need to think about that in the book too. Every situation is different, right? So if it's something really minor, um, 
you know, then you wait for the production meeting the following, even if it's like, if it's Friday morning and you have your production meeting the day before and you're going to wait a week, if it's not burning, don't bother the builder. Like it can be fixed. If it's something dramatic, like what happened with, uh, I mentioned this to you. So our, we do have a rotunda in our home. It's kind of a fulcrum where the house turns to face the golf course. And so when the architect drew it, he drew, it's 28 feet to the height of the ceiling inside. And he drew a ledge at 21 feet. And then there are windows around it. Well, when it got framed, I could see that the framing was going to kind of block the light coming in from the windows. And it's like, well, what's the point? And so, you know, and you sign a contract with the architect that says, hey, you know, in field things change. So you're going to pay for that change order. But I looked at it and I went, yeah, we got to tear this out because if we don't, I mean, all the energy of putting light in the middle of the house is dead, right? And so that was one where I just stepped outside and I called the builder and I said, hey, I'm looking at this. You know, I don't, I don't know if you can come down here and look at it with me and see what you think, but I think we're going to have to rip this down. And, and I did it immediately because framers are at a premium, even mm -hmm. at the beginning of COVID. And it was like, I don't want to have them leave and have to come back. And, you know, while they were there, we wanted to get it done. Uh, and similarly, on the outside of the rotunda, I just missed this on the blueprint. So the way that the the windows were oriented to the street, they were just off just a little bit where they were facing right. And the, the front window was not parallel to the street. And I am way symmetrical. <laughs> and so while they were up there, I'm like, oh, dang it, those windows aren't right. And so that was a minor, that change order was only a couple hundred bucks because they were at it. So I think the for me, the rule was, look, if this is going to cost a lot of money to tear it up after because it's wrong, let's tell them right now. But we never went to the contract to the sub and said, hey, stop. We called because we never wanted to get between the sub and the builder. Well, that was their, you know, again, a respect factor. It's like let the builder deal with the subs. The only time we ever got between the builder and the subs was to hand the subs money to mm -hmm. say thank you. That was it. We didn't try to ask them to do work or do something on the side for us because it's just counterproductive to the whole production timeline. We don't want to be that customer. Mm -hmm. What caused you to do that? To give the $100 bills. Uh -huh. um, so we did a remodel back when we were in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, we just, again, I'm going to put this in the book too. Having worked in retail for 35 years, I still to this day do not understand why people think being the complainer and being mean is going to have a better outcome. And it's quite the opposite in our experience is when you thank people, they work harder for you. And the realization for us, particularly in the environment we were building in, is, look, those contractor the subs can go anywhere. Any given day, they have 10 other jobs they could be on. Which one do they want to come to? They want to come to the one where you bring them donuts or breakfast tacos and you thank them. And then when they finish something, you hand them a thank you card in Spanish with a $100 bill. You know, that played very well. And I think that I like to think, and I believe this is true, that the work was even better because mm -hmm. they felt appreciated. And having managed people for 35 years, I think that in every case, when you're grateful and thankful, people work harder for you. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And it really is, particularly when you look at this interesting relationship of the general contractor and the subcontractors. Yeah. And um, I think you broke the code on that. That's, yeah. 
that's one way to do it. And I love the idea of donuts or yeah. breakfast tacos. Oh, my husband has a personal like friendship now with a Whataburger uh, manager <laughs> in Lakeway because he was there every day getting lunch burgers for people and so forth. But a little bit goes a long way. What did you, um, as the project was moving along, uh, and it sounds like you all were able to pretty much stay on schedule because of, even though with COVID? Yeah, I think uh, we had two bottlenecks. We had a bottleneck with a mason and a bottleneck with a driveway. Um, but, I mean, they held us up a few weeks and we did work around, so it was really not, it didn't hold the whole project up. And those, one case, the case of the mason, I think, was a COVID case. You know, what are you, what are you going to do? People got sick, right? Mm -hmm. So you just... You, you do the work around, you trust the builders got in, and he did. Right. So if we if we step back for a minute, when you went through the process of selecting a builder, you kind of got some different names of, as you mentioned, you saw mm -hmm. some of the houses they built. Uh, you met with them. You talked to their references. Um, but what you didn't get was the actual, and you were dealing with fixed price builders, right? Mm -hmm. But you didn't say to each of them, give me the price for these plans? No, we, we did not ask for a bid. Um, one of the people, I won't tell you, one of the people whose homes we looked at told us exactly what they paid, which was really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually talked with that builder about that. And, and then we got into a long discussion about why that house was a completely different house than the one we're building. But we, even though we both have done multiple contracts and so forth throughout our life and we've worked in, in home improvement, we just didn't feel qualified to sit there. One, we knew all the work that goes into a bid, but two, we didn't feel qualified to sit there and lay three bids side by side and compare every spec and decide who had the better spec. Um, you know, and, and cabinets, how do you even compare a spec on a cabinet on a house that's not built yet? Mm -hmm. I mean, it would be very difficult. I mean, we, we were clear with the builder up front, you know, we wanted hickory wood cabinets, uh, in specific areas and we wanted painted, uh, paint grade wood and others. So, so we kind of knew what we wanted and we think that helped our builder build a better spec for us, but we didn't think it was right to ask three people to do that for us when we were only going to hire one. Mm -hmm. So... So you've, you've, what you've said is, is that it's more important to pick the a builder. builder that you can work well with, that you respect right. him and his work, yep. and you believe he's going to deliver a good product, and not so much this is a beat down to see who can build it yeah. for the least amount of money. Yeah, I, I mean, coming from Home Depot, uh, who is notorious for negotiating strong contracts and so forth, there's still a high degree of um, bias to being fair. And, you know, we were a very fair company and I marinated in that culture myself and other retailers. And it's like, you know, you can beat somebody up, but you still pay. You always are going to pay what is necessary. And so the question is, how do you want to go about doing business with people? Do you want them to go into it knowing they've been beaten up? Or do you want them to go into it feeling good about the relationship? And so, you know, when we talked through the bid, I don't, we didn't have, um, you know, a lot of intensity around this looks high or that looks high. It was more, tell me why, tell me why this costs that so that we could understand it. You know, it's a, uh, it's a fairly transparent world if you just do the homework too. So you can get a pretty good sense of what things cost. When you got the first estimate of cost for the project, mm -hmm. was there sticker shock? 
Uh, it was over our budget, uh-huh. <laughs> but we hadn't told him the budget yet, uh-huh. in fairness. Uh, and then we started looking at, again, you start with a number and then you're like, okay, well, how do we take cost out? And in reality, we went with the bid and we added to it. So we had we had a, two instances that uh, the builder didn't recommend and we did anyway. And that was because of our other builder friends recommended. The first one was a geo survey. Um, and that's specific to our community. We have a lot of hidden uh, springs. Yeah, geotechnical survey. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, and funny, our architect said, God, only uh, 20% of the people uh, ever do a geo survey. And I'm like, when you know there's water potentially running underneath, and there was a home probably 500 yards from ours that had had to spend $200,000 to put in 19 pilings when they dug and found a stream running under it. We're like, look, we want to know up front if we are going to have a problem. So we've spent the money on that, but that kind of snowballed over into our foundation because based on the soil samples, the geotech service guy said, this is the kind of foundation I I recommend. And if you build anything else, I'm not going to be responsible. So we went back and forth on the type of foundation. We're a, a slab, one-story home, and it's a lot of concrete. And our builders had great success with tension set, you know, and he's like, I can save you, you know, $35,000 by not doing what they're recommending, and it's going to slow us down. And we just said, you know what, we're going to sleep better at night for the rest of our life knowing that that foundation is rock solid. And he's like, well, just for the record, I would have built you a rock solid foundation. We're like, yeah, we know, but... So we went ahead and did that. And it did, it cost us probably four weeks in mm-hmm. terms of production of the house because you literally the way that it was built was like so many inches at a time and then an inspection and then so many inches. And it was crazy. But, you know, those are the types of situations where you get a bid, you want to hold yourself to a price, you can do that. But there are sacrifices that you have to make. Right. So, so that kind of really tells you that. First, it's going to be hard to set a price or yeah. what your own budget is. Even if you do, that doesn't mean that the first iteration is going to come through. No. One of the things I, I love that you said, and this is something we try to do, is we want to be working with our client from the start. We want to go to those architect meetings. Yeah. Because if we know that your budget is this and we're sitting there watching. And, and the thing about architects, first of all, they're glorious. And uh, I really do respect it. I can tell you that they have the ability to do things that us old engineers cannot do. Uh, I'll just tell one quick story. I have a swimming pool that's separate from my home. It's on a cliff and it's over to the side because we don't want to obstruct the view of the light. And I was struggling with uh, the finished floor level of the house is here And I said, should the pool, which we live on this real severe slope, should it be the same level as the finished floor? And uh, an architect friend of ours came out and took one look at it and said, make it two feet lower. Perfect. I didn't know to do that. Mm -hmm. My old engineer brain said it's got to be the same level, Mm -hmm. even though it's physically not connected to the house. Hmm. He looked at it, said, make it two feet lower, made all the difference in the world. Yeah. How did his eyes know to do that? That's why he's an architect. Right. I'm an engineer. Right. Right. So, but when we're sitting in those early meetings and we know what your budget is and we see the schematic design, the initial designs, 
And we're looking, builders are looking at things like frame square feet. Mm-hmm. And particularly with all the outdoor areas and your home has, you know, pool and gorgeous outdoor areas. Those can be as expensive to build as conditioned space, if not sure. more so. Sure. Uh, so we're listening to all this interaction going on and we're and we're running the calculator, right. <laughs> you know. And right. so it really helps to have us involved, right? Yeah. All your design professionals, yeah. your your structural engineer, your geotech, uh, your interior designer, yeah. all those people. Yeah, Becky was with us right from the beginning in terms of, you know, how we were thinking about the spaces and the light and the height of things. You know, we have 14-foot ceilings. Mm-hmm. Our house is so light. We don't even have to turn the lights on half the time. It's Texas. There's so much light, you know. Yeah. But it is, it is, uh, it's absolutely, in our case, been amazing having all those people involved. And then one thing I'll tell you, which is crazy that I did, but... I'm a marketer. So when we all sat down for the first meeting, I had written a vision statement of our home. And I will be honest, the architect and the builder looked at each other like this lady's nuts. <laughs> like, what are we, what are we getting yeah. ourselves into? Becky smiled because she knows me really well. But so it was about typewritten. I think it was two pages. But it basically described the end result we were looking for, you know, that the home was not a vanity project that we were looking to age in place. So it was very important to us to have level one, one level and walk in showers. And, you know, so when we got all when I got through all that, that actually helped too, more so even than the budget, because they were able to know what we were striving for and what kind of home we wanted to build, you know, and then and the builder and I were in the kitchen when things were wrapping up, we hadn't moved in yet. And he, he stood there and looked around. He said, wow. He's like, this house looks great. And I said, I, I'm so happy. I said, but you know what I'm even happier about? It's going to live even better. Mm-hmm. And that I think that's an issue that a lot of people building a home, they, they think about how beautiful it should be, but they don't think about living in it. And Becky had shared this with me. I told you about it earlier. So this one couple built this amazing bathroom. And you go on house and Pinterest and you see these gorgeous glassed in showers and all these fancy hardware and beautiful multicolor. And, and this one couple that did this type of bathroom now shower in their guest room. (laughs) And I'm like, are you kidding me? And it's because there's a lot of maintenance when there's all that glass, you know? So we ended up building uh, a hidden shower with tile walls. That's easy to clean and, and put a beautiful vertical piece of Alexandrita quartzite 10 feet up the wall. So it's a piece of art. Oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I, I think a lot of people building a home, they fixate on fashion and they forget about function. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a lot of time and we set that tone up front. And then as we went through the architectural process, the builder was able to, he knew, he's like, well, you told me you wanted it to be safe. If you do this and this, you're probably not going to like that when you're 70. Mm-hmm. So it was helpful to have that up front. And I don't know that a lot of people would want to take the time to do that or even have the wherewithal to be able to say all that, but it, anything you can tell the builder up front makes for a much better experience. Yeah. So how did it finish up? What was uh, what people we call commissioning and a lot of people call punch? And yeah. after you moved in, how did how did that, how did that go? Well, I'm smiling because I am like the most, I'm a perfectionist and I'm OCD. My husband will tell you I'm, I'm just awful. Right. I'm a human level. I can look and see of something. So before we ever moved in, um, you know, we took I think we used green frog tape. So they knew it was us because the builders using blue. Right. And so I spent 
hours. Like I would go, and again, these are friends of ours that recommended it. While the painters are still there doing all the work, before you move in, go sit with a lawn chair in the middle of that room and just look. And go over there in the morning, go over there in the afternoon, and in the evening because the light changes, right? Yeah, we call that critical light. Have you heard that term? Yes. And, And so, you know, I and my husband both spent hours taping and so much so that the painter came in and he said, wow, you have a really good eye, <laughs> which thankfully we had given him a lot of $100 bills along the way, so he didn't mind. But I mean, our punch list, we just had our six-month walkthrough and they came in and they spent a day, about a day and a half touching up, but it was big things. Like we put beams in the ceiling, so the caulking as they dry in and shift, you know, mm-hmm. they had to recaulk. And then there were some, uh, you know, cases where the the caulking had pulled away with the cabinets at the wall or there was stain, you know, that we missed a spot we didn't notice. So, I mean, we're very happy. We feel like we did a good job up front of getting the bulk of it done. Um, and, you know, we'll probably have them back in, in the final six months and find a few more things. But it's been pretty minor, actually. Mm-hmm. Been, like I tell you, our post move in punch list was one page double spaced of, you know. Wow. Not It wasn't wasn't much. Yeah. But that's because we stayed involved. And as they were there, we're like, oh, hey, come over here. Look at this. Could you fix that while they were there? It was much simpler. And I also think, again, back to my depot days, the one of the things that subcontractors hate is coming back. So I think it's better to have it all outlined so they can come and do it all versus having to keep coming back. Mm-hmm. So what is the what are the in this? I don't want to steal from your book. <laughs> What are the takeaways? What are a couple of takeaways that are things that you were not expecting to learn on this adventure? Wow. I don't know that I've really thought about that. I don't know. I Honestly, I can't think of anything that I learned that I wasn't expecting to learn. Um, I never thought that I would know, you know, the Lakeway permit approver's name was Sally Bukovinsky. <laughs> like, I know way too much if we're getting into the weeds, but, you know, there were relationships along the way that the builder had that made things smoother for us. <clears throat> um, I would say this. I did not expect to spend conservatively a thousand hours in that year and a half researching product, uh, researching furnishings. I mean, my husband... <laughs> He would walk up to the front of our older house and I'd be in the office and he would look at me and I'd have that, that face like <laughs> researching what kind of, what kind of air conditioner, you know, in the early days, what, what do we want? You know, oh, we you know, want, want a train versus Lennox. Why? So I, I think we, us, we both underestimated the amount of time that we were going to have to devote to it. We thought we were just going to do a contract, pick some stuff and it'd just be done. And so that's probably the one thing that, that makes me say, I probably will never build another house. I know you say you will, but I'm kind of like, I love it. It looks great. It lives great. lives better. We're done. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. Plus, my golf game went to heck. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't have that. No. Um, one of the things you mentioned is this book that helped you get started. Yes. Say the name of that book again. What Your Contractor Can't Tell You. Okay. And you can buy it on Amazon. Give me an example. What can't your contractor tell you? (sighs) Well, he can't make the choices for you uh, of the finishes, right? So if you 
don't pick them in a timely basis, it's going to cost you money one way or the other. Some delays, other things are going to happen. And so, you know, I think up front, the builder does what he can to say, hey, we're going to need this. And I don't think a lot of people do their homework and they show up and they're not prepared, right? <clears throat> so when they say today is the day we need to have all your paint selected, they don't mean let's talk about it today. They mean we already need to have it. So I think that that was in there. And I think there was a lot in there that helped us with interviewing the builder. Uh, one of the uh, one of the watch outs we were given was make sure your builder does not co-mingle the funds for their individual projects. And one of those three builders actually did that. And we were shocked. Uh, but we would have never known to ask that question had we not read that book. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, the advice she gives the woman that wrote is a very seasoned builder you know, about keeping good notes, you know, so each week when we had production meetings, you know, I went prepared with my list of concerns and everything's documented. So we know. So there was one point where I won't go into the details, but there was a finish work issue and we all knew it was going to be a problem. We agreed up front uh, because we were the sub kind of failed us. And so we knew we were going to have to have someone come behind and kind of pick up the slack. And uh, we were fine with that. But 16 weeks later, I'm like, okay, this project took less than that to, to put in. And now just making it right is 16 weeks. And the builder went, holy crap. And it was because I had those production notes every week. And I could go back and look. April 28th was the first time we talked about this. It's, you know, September. What the heck? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I think those are some really um, good pieces of advice that came out of that book that had I not read it, I would probably wouldn't have known to do. Well, I think you should write that book immediately. Yeah, I'm going to start in a couple of weeks when I clear up this one obligation I have finishing off. So yeah. I'm I'm excited. I, I think the hardest part for me is going to be editing it down. Right. Because there's a million decisions and there's so many things you could talk about. But I think one of the things I feel compelled to open with as a former retailer and someone who deeply respects contractors is to start out with be a good customer. I, just, I don't think a lot of people understand what that means, right? It's like make, oh. <laughs> make decisions on a timely basis. Be forthright. Be honest. If you don't like something, say so early. Don't, you know, I think there's a lot of people that like to do the gotcha. And it's mm -hmm. like gotchas are expensive. It's like tell them when you see it. You know, don't don't complain every day about every detail, but keep track. And so anyway, I'm, I'm uh, definitely going to talk about that. Um, God bless you. That's yeah. I, I'm going to buy a whole box of those books <laughs> and I'm going to give one to everybody who comes through the front door saying, can you build our house? Yeah. Say, read this. Read and this and let talk. me know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's right on target. Uh, look, general contractors, subcontractors, we're all just human beings. Yeah. And one of the things we try to explain to people is, is that as we build your house, there will be mistakes and there will be accidents. Yeah. And there will be times when you're like, are you guys morons? <laughs> How could you let that happen? Yeah. And what we're thinking is, is, you know, we're trying to control all the elements of the project. We're trying to control cost, quality, and schedule. And weather. You're supposed to control the weather too, right? Well, we haven't got that one figured <laughs> out. The problem with controlling weather is reacting to it. Yeah, it's tough. And People don't think about that in their timeline. That reminded me of something that you said. You said that uh, your builder got a hold of y'all before Snowmageddon or during yeah. Snowmageddon. Well, yeah, so we talked about like one of the best things, in my opinion, a builder can do 
is aftercare. So yes, build the house, build a great house, but maintain the relationship after the fact because people say they're never going to build again. But we we interviewed several people that were on their third house with our builder. Mm-hmm. So, but what he did was when the big freeze came a few days before, we have Renai tankless water heaters. First time we've ever had them. We have no clue. <laughs> and he emails us and goes, here's some information you need to read and decide whether you want to drain them if there's a power loss or how do you want to go about protecting your investment. So we were very impressed. It's like, well, that's very thoughtful because he could have just said, hey, your problem, right? But, yeah. you know, you have a warranty if they blow up, oh, well. But but he knows darn good and well, we'd be calling going, what do we do? Yeah. So he was very preemptive and we appreciated that. I know that when Snowmageddon hit, the first thing Matt did was order a dozen uh, of those Renai's. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, actually, and a uh, funny related story, we were originally going to go with a different brand mm-hmm. when we picked, when we did our specs and our builder came to us and said, Hey, now that we've had Snowmageddon, we don't want to use this model. We're going to move to Renai because they covered the warranty. So we were like, okay. And I think it, I don't even think it was material uh, change in cost, but he came to us and said, we don't want you to have to deal with this company after the fact because they didn't stand behind their product. That was impressive, too. That's great. Yeah. Well, look, any other ideas for us right now? No. I mean, I just I think we've hit all the highlights. It's just uh, it's almost like dating and getting married and hoping you don't have to have a divorce. Right. <laughs> it's like pick and and true by the uh, fact our builder was in interviewing us to see if we were going to be a pain in the butt to do business with. It's like it is a give and take and people go into it thinking it's a transaction when it's going to be one of the most emotional times of your life. And you better be sure that the people yeah. you're going to go into it with are people that you feel like are in the boat rowing with you. So. Oh, that's really well said. We're yeah. just going to end on that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. It was great. Thank you. Thank you.